Hello and welcome to Going Viral. I am David Lim. It is Wednesday, the 9th of September. In today's podcast, we will hear Professor Robert Boy's comments in regard to the Prime Minister's announcement that a COVID-19 vaccine will be available in January 2021. The latest global and local COVID-19 statistics will follow the interview. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to register for the next webcasts, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can listen to these podcasts on the HealthEd website, or you can download the HealthEd app and access many other learning resources as well. Professor Robert Boy, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is um, Professor Robert Boy. I'm a paediatrician, uh, clinician and an epidemiologist, especially concentrating on infectious diseases and vaccination. Professor Boy, we all read the announcement that the Prime Minister had said that the vaccine will be available in January 2021. What do you think of this announcement and the deadline? The AstraZeneca sourced vaccine which is produced in cooperation with Oxford University, uh, is a very hopeful vaccine, but it is not yet confirmed as to be uh, highly protective uh, and safe. Those final details are awaiting the studies ongoing at the moment in South Africa, Brazil, the UK. So when we get clear information, evidence, data, we can be confident, but until mm-hmm. that time, we can only be hopeful. What time frame are you looking at? Well, the uh, results from the various trials should start coming in during uh, October and November. So it may only be six weeks away before we know a lot more. Having said that, when you're dealing with a new vaccine, you may find some side effects that are so rare but still important Mm. that they don't come out until you've done post-marketing surveillance, until tens if not hundreds of thousands of people have had the vaccine. There may be a very rare side effect that we may not be able to, to find even from the current phase three studies in 20 or 30,000 people. It is also mentioned that there was a possibility of uh, using two different vaccines together, Robert. Uh, what do you think of that idea? I believe that the best approach is to have two doses of the same vaccine separated by one to uh, two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the uh, CSL vaccine, which is made with University of Queensland, is a protein-based vaccine. It's also very hopeful, but still more studies to be completed. Uh, that should be given one dose and then a second dose. And likewise, the Oxford vaccine should be given the same two uh, doses. But likewise, the Oxford vaccine should also be given as the same vaccine each time. I had spoken to a common friend of ours, uh, Dr. Gary Groman, this morning. He mentioned that um, there might have been some confusion between the terms uh, efficacy and immunogenicity. Do you think that might have happened? Uh, certainly uh, in people uh, who do not 
do clinical medicine or epidemiology on a daily basis, there's room for confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the field, we all know that immunogenicity means uh, making antibodies and maybe a T-cell response, mm-hmm. essentially making antibodies, uh, and that may or may not be protective. Um, efficacy, it comes from phase three studies in tens of thousands, and that tells us whether disease is actually prevented. And that prevention can be, you know, 90 to 100 percent, or it may only be 50 or 60 percent, depending on how uh, effective the vaccine proves to be. Now, again, of course, you need time to know how efficacious a vaccine is. Will that be something we will learn from the phase three trials? We'll learn preliminary information from the phase three, which will be very helpful and which the TGA in Australia will pay very close attention to. Mm-hmm. But we won't have information about protection after six months, 12 months, 18 months. That will require post-implementation phase four monitoring and very careful study. Robert, in a sense you're telling me that it's possible that the whole of the Australian population, if not a large proportion of the Australian population, will be an experimental, real-life experiment. Uh, Well, I wouldn't go so far as calling it an experiment um, because the vaccine will not be licensed unless there's strong confidence in both its protective efficacy and its safety. And that will be based on tens of thousands of people. So once that phase three study, which you could call an experiment, is done, we'll have a lot more confidence. When we introduced 10 years ago the swine flu vaccine, uh, we were in a similar situation. We were able to produce a vaccine within six to nine months, uh, and then we were able to use it and found it generally to be very safe and protective, but there were Mm. some rare side effects that we saw um, uh, in children especially. Okay, so it's a, you know, let's give it now because it's going to be safe enough, but we will learn along the way. We will, and uh, we won't have perfect information when uh, the vaccine is licensed, and therefore phase four work where you do post-marketing intensive surveillance will be very important. One of the conversations I haven't had a lot of is whom should not get this vaccine or any of these COVID-19 vaccines? Uh, well, I would start with who should and uh, certainly uh, at-risk people who are elderly, um, people with chronic medical conditions, the lung, the heart, diabetes, hypertension, uh, and healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. So we start with those. And so if you're not in that group, you have to um, wait your turn. Obviously, there's rare people who have an allergic reaction, which only comes up after you've had one dose, so you may not get a second dose because of a rare anaphylactic reaction. Don't expect that to be more common than one in 100,000. By way of other effects, the vaccines being produced uh, are not live um, and are unlikely to cause um, uh, substantial side effects or or uh, infection-related symptoms. So I don't see a problem in that in that group. Lovely. Now we've been reading some articles that the post-COVID immunity, in some cases, may not be lasting, and that a person in Hong Kong has been confirmed to be infected with the second strain of the SARS-CoV-2. What implications will these have on the vaccines being developed, the efficacy, and the duration of immunity? Well. First of all, um, the great majority of people do have an immune response, so that's good. Second, the Hong Kong case where COVID of a different type was detected uh, in a second infection was asymptomatic, 
Mm. It's very well argued that the first infection had produced sufficient cross-protection to prevent symptoms, but not necessarily infection. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're only going to see people get second infections that are uh, asymptomatic or mild, well, who cares? You get a, a boosting effect and protection. We don't have any evidence to suggest that you suddenly lose immunity after 6 or 12 months, but we have to look for that. Uh, we don't have uh, any evidence to suggest um, that there is a particular risk group who aren't responding very well. Mm-hmm. We only find that out through good surveillance. Now, Robert, before I move on to a slightly different topic, do you want to summarise or have any messages for our health professional listeners about this announcement of the vaccine and um, some of the information that we can share with our patients? Well, it's good news that we can have uh, uh, access to two vaccines that are look very promising. I wouldn't oversell it and say that they must work or they will work, uh, only to say that there's a good chance of them working. People should uh, judge the value of the vaccine based on the data with regard to actual prevention of disease and safety uh, in the recipients of vaccine. So there's a bit more water to flow under the bridge. Right. Um, and uh, and uh, I would recommend um, just uh, being a bit, bit patient, uh, hopeful but patient. Thank you for that. Now, just to a different topic, we know how overstretched the Victorian Public Health Unit had been in their vital work of tracing and tracking. Do you think that um, in the last period of time with the lockdown, they've managed to upgrade their contact tracing facility and capability? I think it's pretty clear that uh, the Victorians have upgraded in many fronts and they've learnt a lot of important lessons and they're applying them and doing a, a good job and day by day a better job, but they're working mm-hmm. very hard and mm-hmm. I, I give them credit. I think that's been a, a learning curve for them. They perhaps didn't have as uh, big a cadre of people who do contact tracing to begin with and then to introduce people who are not primarily trained in contact tracing to, to doing it uh, is a, a learning curve that takes mm-hmm. uh, days and weeks to get good at it. So I, I believe that Victorians uh, have improved greatly. They're doing uh, an important job. They're showing uh, really excellent results from from their efforts. So, um, you know, I, I give them credit for that. I think we can all breathe a sigh of relief right through Australia think this numbers come down. Yes, uh, the numbers coming down is tremendous. And uh, I, I just hope that um, their their economy can, can re-spark mm-hmm. and get going again. I mean, mm-hmm. perhaps they can become a little more uh, generous in who's allowed to uh, work. I mean, mm-hmm. single people working in the outside on mowing lawns are hardly a risk to the, the public. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I think it's yet again still learning curve whereby more and more people who can be safely allowed to go back to work will be allowed to do that. Yes, we are all hoping for the same, that the economy will in fact kick start. Now, to, to another question, Robert, nothing to do with that. It has become clear over time that children do indeed spread the SARS-CoV-2 virus and possibly more than we thought. Firstly, why have we been largely spared uh, from having hotspots in our childcare centre and only a small number in our schools? And secondly, does this knowledge change any of the advice we give to our parents with young children? Well, the good news has been all along that uh, young children hardly ever get 
uh, symptomatic infection. They can rarely get an intense inflammatory response that might occur in between one in 500 to one in a thousand cases. So that's rare. It looks a bit like Kawasaki disease with uh, intense fever, redness of the eyes and mouth, uh, swelling of the hands and feet, nausea and vomiting and abdo pain. But mm -hmm. in pain, that's less than one in 500 cases of COVID in children. Mm -hmm. And it may occur in primary school children, maybe sort of early high school age as well. Uh, so yes, they are potentially symptomatic. Um, and yes, transmission can occur, but at a very restricted level. Mm -hmm. and so we've seen high schools where, where, you know, two or three people have been infected and generally not more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and studies done in New South Wales following up um, uh, a lot of outbreaks showed very little transmission occurring in school. Some out-of-school events where there's a lot of adults uh, were actually more likely to um, promote spread than in-school events where it's mostly children. Mm -hmm. um, from an evolutionary point of view, um, there's evidence from other viral infections that uh, young children may get uh, their first viral infection relatively mildly, not influenza, but other viruses. Mm -hmm. And uh, this might be a, a, a means by which uh, children survive and to become uh, adults and to have their own children. But we really don't have a very clear explanation for why infection is still uh, deemed to be uh, uncommon and unlikely to transmit in children, especially in preschool and primary school. To an extent, there is a little bit more transmission in high school where there's a bit more intimacy between students. Thank you for all that information, Robert. And uh, do you have any other final messages to our listeners? Uh, no, stay safe. Thank you, and you too. And have a very good day, Robert. Thank you for your time. From the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Centre, we find that the global COVID-19 cases has succeeded 27.4 million. The USA has recorded more than 6.3 million cases India more than 4.2 million, Brazil has succeeded 4.1 million, Russia more than 1 million, Peru more than 691,000 and Colombia more than 671,000 cases. Global COVID-19 deaths is recorded at 894,830. The USA recorded more than 189,500, Brazil nearly 127,000, India more than 72,700, and Mexico more than 67,700 deaths. Australia has reported 26,267 cases of confirmed COVID-19 and 781 people have died from COVID-19. In the past day, Victoria recorded 76 new cases of COVID-19 with 11 deaths. 216 patients are still in hospital, 9 are in ICU and 13 are being ventilated. These figures are an improvement upon yesterday's. New South Wales has reported 9 new cases. Of these, 8 were locally acquired of known sources and one was a returned traveller in hotel quarantine. Queensland has reported eight new cases, five are from the same family, and three are linked to the Ipswich Hospital cluster.
Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free. You get CPD points and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.